Welcome to Stories from Among the Stars. You're listening to The Last Watch by J.S. Dewis. Chapter 10 The thick bulkhead door slid open, and Cavallon stepped out of Novum Sector and into the amidship vestibule, brow soaked in nervous sweat. Rake waited on the other side, leaning against the wall. How did it go? Good, sir, Cavallon said, voice muffled through his visor. He set the ACM-filled jar on the floor at his feet, then released the lock on his helmet. He lifted it off, and his ears popped as the pressure fully equalized. Glad to be free of the artificial air, he took a deep breath, but found it tasted just as stale as the suit's oxygen had. There was a lot of drip left in the line, he continued. More than I expected, all sealed up tight. He took off his gloves and pocketed them, then pushed up the sleeves of the white, pearlescent suit. He tucked the helmet under his arm, then picked up the jar. Rake's hopeful visage faltered as she eyed his exposed arms and helmet warily. He found himself, yet again, afraid that he'd managed to screw up without knowing how. Everything okay? He asked. She gave a small nod. Yeah, just deja vu. Cavallon held the brightly glowing jar toward her like a peace offering. Rake stared at the Asium, and her unsettled look faded. The blue glow appeared a brilliant shade of emerald reflected in her amber eyes. You could probably warp to Karn Gate three or four times with this, he said, with as much optimism as he could muster. She nodded slowly. Great, let's go. She spun and headed for the other side of the circular vestibule. Go? He squeaked though the other part of her statement concerned him more, just exactly how specific was her usage of let's. He slicked his sweaty hair off his forehead and took a few quick steps to catch up. Though every part of him wanted to insist she elaborate, he kept his mouth shut and followed in nervous silence as she headed toward the lift. At first, he'd been sure his involvement in all this would conclude at the odd line of questioning phase, then he'd thought it'd be over after the warheads. This time, he'd been certain his final task would be venturing into a vacuum for the first time ever to drain the fluid from 200-year-old accelerator lines, all while quelling his acute panic at being only one faulty warning sensor or clogged filter away from suffocation. But she'd said, let's, and his feet were moving underneath him, and, even more oddly, he didn't feel all that compelled to argue with them. A few minutes later, they entered the main hangar, and the docking bay across from where he'd seen the Tempest parked the day before now sat a small, spherical transport vessel. Jack and an emery stood underneath the ship, lifting a crate above their heads toward the open hatch. Warner's thick arms reached down and grabbed it, then disappeared into the hull. As Rake and Cavallon approached, Jack and looked over, cheeks flushed and sweat glistening on his forehead. Cavallon imagined that the work of the Optio rarely required such heavy lifting, but the real question was why the hell they were lifting anything at all? Loading a ship with supplies? This grew more and more suspicious by the minute. Maybe Rake had finally had enough, or maybe she and Jackin were secret lovers intent on stealing away into the night, never to be heard from again. Cavallon had to grin at the thought. Not only did abandoning ships seem so not rake-like, it was ludicrous. 
but the idea of her and Jackin together was just silly. The Optio stepped away as Emery continued to hand supplies to Warner. Get what we need? Jackin asked. Plenty, Cavalon held up the jar. Plenty indeed, but how do we get it into the core? Well, Cavalon heaved a sigh. It's pretty complicated. How complicated? Jackin asked, worry creasing his sweaty brow. Well, you'll want to use the vacuum pressure glove box. Jackin quirked an eyebrow. Obviously, then? Cavalon grimaced. You're going to have to open the fuel port door on the core. And? And then... Cavalon lifted his shoulders in a weary shrug. Pour it in. Jackin's eyes shadowed as he leveled a flat look at Cavalon. Cavalon flashed him a grin, but Jackin didn't seem amused. Rake glanced between them. That doesn't sound hard? Jackin didn't respond, but snatched the jar from Cavalon and headed toward a nearby workbench with a huff. Try not to get any on you, Cavalon called after him. Burns a little. Ah, Rake gave a quick nod. A joke, of course. She gave Cavalon an exasperated frown. His cheeks instantly warmed and the smile melted off his face. Sorry, sir, couldn't resist. Why don't you help Emery and Warner finish packing the supplies? Yes, sir. Cavalon gave Jack in a sheepish look as he passed by the workbench on his way toward the ship. He set the helmet aside and pulled off the spacesuit, then went over to help Emery lift a large aerosteel crate. What is this stuff? He asked, eyeing the label on the crate. MREs? Emery said. Uh, yeah. What's that? Emery scoffed. You really aren't a soldier, are you? Who said I'm not a soldier? Warner peered down from the hatch above them and chuffed. Cavalon scowled, but chose to ignore it. It didn't matter if they knew he wasn't a soldier, so long as they didn't know what he was. They lifted the crate, and Warner easily plucked it from their wobbling arms. Meals ready to eat, Emery explained. Ah. Uh. Note, that doesn't mean they'll stay down only that you can technically consume them with your mouth. Not the tastiest, then? Understatement of the millennium. They've got a shelf life of like 15 years, if that tells you anything. Warner reappeared in the hatch frame. What else? Just a bunch of pistol charges, Emery said. Warner raised an eyebrow. She shrugged, and they shared a wary look, equal parts clueless and nervous. Toss him up, Warner said. Emery dragged over a pallet of narrow metal boxes. Cavalon recognized the worn cases as crates used to store firearm energy cells. Uh, why so much ammo? Cavalon asked. Where are you guys going? Shit if I know, Emery said. Optio just gave us a list and told us to pack it. She tossed one of the boxes up to Warner, then glanced over her shoulder. Jackin placed the last of the jars from the missiles into the vacuum chamber built into the workbench. Emery lowered her voice, decidedly unamused. No one ever goes anywhere, like anywhere. You probably know more than we do, boss. It was partly true. He at least knew they wanted to get to Karin Gate, but that sliver of knowledge didn't do much to calm the knot in his stomach, which constricted with every passing minute. He glanced over to where Rake leaned against the workbench, quietly speaking with Jackin as he worked. 
Cavallon wanted to stop packing and refused to lift another finger until they explained what the hell was going on. Instead, he absentmindedly passed cases up to Warner and focused on trying to overhear Rake and Jackin's hushed conversation. Supplies really necessary? Rake asked. Shouldn't take longer than a few hours to get there and back. Just being cautious, boss, Jackin answered. Who are you going to send? I'll do it, Jackin scoffed. Well, that's just about the worst idea ever. We need rank to make that kind of request, and the higher it is, the more likely they'll listen. Technically, we need Delta clearance to even relay this report. My rank and clearance will do? Send me. Silence hung in the air for a long moment before Rake responded. Fine. You're not going alone, though. Who do you want? Just send these guys. They already know too much. No need to involve anyone else. There it was again, that ambiguous plural that suggested Cavallon might be expected to continue down yet another stretch of this strange road. Rake mumbled something, and Jackin huffed, then said, That I'm leaving up to you. Warner dropped down from the hatch, then called out, All packed, sirs. With the filled warp core in hand, Jackin crossed over from the workbench, followed by Rake. Here's the situation. Rake stopped in front of them, hands held behind her back. You will be warping to Carngate to send a request to HQ. Yes, sir, Warner said. Uh, Cavallon said. Me too? Yes, you too, Rake said patiently. Uh, he began again. He'd been waiting for this shoe to drop and he'd intended to fight her tooth and nail but he quickly realized he didn't know which scared him more, fleeing to ask the Legion for help with whatever, or staying behind on the ship they were fleeing from. Jackin's your CO for this mission, Rake said. Heed his orders, and I expect you to treat him with the utmost respect. If I hear otherwise on your return, they'll be held to pay. Understood? Understood. Both Emery and Warner barked in unison. Cavallon had to clear his throat before his feeble response fell out. Understood. Your job's simple. Head to the gate, put in the call, and come straight back. She turned to Jackin. And Jack? Ships. Right away, if you can. Ships? Cavallon swallowed the lump in his throat. What did that mean? Like, backup? Like, enemies incoming mobilize the fleet? Cavallon looked to Emery and Warner for any indication of a reaction, but they still had their exemplary soldier hats on, and their demeanors didn't waver in the slightest. Will do, Jackin said. This'll be this Hermes' inaugural voyage, boss. What do you want to call it? Shit, I don't care. Just need something to put in the transponder when I boot it up. Rake shook her head. SGL? Jackin smirked. Really, boss? The SGL. I don't know, Jack. Does it matter? Not in the least. Copy, SGL. You'll need an admin terminal to clear us for departure. Where's Lace? I dismissed her. Rake rubbed her hands together nervously. I don't really want this to reach the bridge, either. That's fine. Head to your office and call my nexus. I'll step you through how to unlock the bay controls. Thanks, Optio. Be safe. You got it, boss. Rake faced Emery and Warner and saluted. Good luck, soldiers. 
They returned the gesture, then climbed the flimsy ladder into the ship. Oddly, Cavallon's feet wouldn't move. He looked down at them in annoyance. Rake began to leave, but paused as she passed, gripping his shoulder. Good work today, Oculus, she said. Thank you. His cheeks warmed, and he hoped the surprise of being thanked by Rake would shock him out of his paralyzed reverie, but he still couldn't move. He glanced up at her, and he knew she could read his frozen, wide-eyed look for what it was, fear. You'll be fine, she said, so matter-of-factly he felt inclined to believe her. Just listen to Optio North. He nodded, and his body finally listened when he told it to turn around and climb into the ship. Jackin followed, and Warner secured the hatch closed behind him. Cavallon spun to take in the layout of the Hermes, or rather the SGL, noting how well the inside matched the design of the outside, circular everything. The circular hatch sat dead center in a circular common room, complete with a circular table flanked by two half-circle benches. A small wedge protruding partway into the room outlined the cockpit, and in arcs on the outer wall sat doors to three separate areas. The one opposite the cockpit, Cavallon knew, would lead to the engines at the back of the ship, the others likely to cargo and crew quarters. He finished his revolution and landed face to face with Jackin. The Optio flashed a quick smile and shoved the brightly glowing warp core into Cavallon's chest. You can install that, right? Cavallon glanced at it. Uh, yes, sir, absolutely. Jackin spun on his heel and disappeared into the cockpit. Need help, sir? Warner called after him. No, Jackin called back. Just need to get the transponder going then put in some coordinates. It'll do most of it itself. Emery began to help Warner sequester the supplies into the starboard room. Cavallon stood and watched, the cold steel of the warp core sending goosebumps up his arms. That is, Jackin called out, if someone installs the core so we can turn the warp drive on. Right, Cavallon said under his breath, that'd be him. The lights faded up in the engine room as he entered. He walked up to the long central console along the back wall and unlocked the fuel port, then tugged open the hatch in the floor. He lay on his stomach at the edge of the small cavity, dropping the core into the mechanism and locking it in place. Twisting to reach behind him, he stretched up to the console and input the command for the warp drive to accept its new fuel cell. ACM core accepted, the computer said, then gave a negative chirp. Error. Drive access lock not engaged. Cavallon grumbled, swiping the warning away, but the computer wasn't having it. Please engage lock or give verbal confirmation to disengage safety protocols. Uh, okay. Verbal confirmation. Granted. Error. Disengage safety protocols, please. Error. Please confirm by stating the following. I understand the risks associated with exposure to hazardous elements. I wish to disengage safety protocols and understand that any repercussions are not the responsibility of the System Collective Legion. Cavallon took a deep breath, clinging desperately to the last vestiges of his patience as he repeated it back. The computer chirped. Confirmed. A series of small clicks preceded a soft roar of electricity, sparking, and the floor shuddered as the ion engines roared to life. 
A familiar, unsettling sensation tugged down on him as the Argus's simulated gravity swapped with the SGL's notably less realistic simulated gravity. His stomach flopped and the ship lurched forward. All signs indicated they'd left the hangar bay. Jackin's voice rang over the ship's speakers. Cruising up to speed. We good, Oculus? Cavallon reached for the comms button. Good to go, sir. Copy. Cavallon lay face down over the edge of the cavity and stared at the glowing acium. As sure as he'd been of the theory behind their jury-rigged warp core, he wasn't nearly as confident that it'd actually work. If it didn't look like it would catch properly, he at least wanted to have a chance at pulling it out in time. At speed, Jackin said. Engaging warp. Cavallon hovered his hands above the warp core, fingers twitching nervously. A soft click cut through the silence, but nothing happened. The ACM sat placidly in the glass cylinder. His breath slowed to a stop. Then the hairs on his neck and arms rose. The floor lurched and the ACM floated upward. A high-pitched squeal began to build. Then the element spun into a thin line and twisted through the core in a regimented corkscrew pattern. He knew it had caught when the squeal cut off in favor of a low, constant rumble that vibrated deep in his chest. He breathed a sigh of relief. When he returned to the common room, Warner and Emery stood near the circular table. He crossed the room toward them. So, uh, he began. What the hell's SGL mean anyway? Emery shrugged. No idea. Shit's gone lateral, Warner rumbled folding his arms over his broad chest. Really? Emery snickered for a few seconds before the humor wiped from her face, white cheeks flushing. But, wait, she mumbled. Does that mean shit's gone lateral? It's an old vanguard thing, as far as I know, Warner went on, seeming not to have heard Emery's digression. EX probably got it from the Tempest's captain. Emery's grin reappeared, eyebrows waggling. That hunky centurion? How do you know he was a vanguard? Must have been. He was at Redcliffe just before he joined the Titans. No shit? Cavallon quirked a brow. Wait, there's another Titan on the Argus? Sorta, Emery said. He captains the Tempest, so he's gone most of the time. She leaned toward him, lowering her voice even further. Both showed up here five years ago, just after the war ended. Weird, right? Cavallon shrugged. I don't know, is it? I mean, two titans at the Divide? Can't be by choice. They must have pissed someone off, Warner agreed. Emery flashed a diabolical grin. What do you think they did? Jacken appeared in the cockpit doorway, a grim scowl lining his face. Emery flushed, and Warner looked down. Is this a proper way to act, Oculi? Jacken barked. Talking about our EX behind her back? Cavallon's first thought quietly surfaced, better than to her face. But that newly developed self-preservation kicked in, and he kept his mouth shut. No, sir, Warner said. Sit down and shut up, Jackin said. We'll be there in less than an hour. Yes, sir, Emery said. Sorry, sir. She and Warner sat on the bench, back straight against the gleaming aerosteel wall. Jackin turned his glare to Cavallon. He crossed his arms and stared down the Optio, 
they'd been the ones gossiping he hadn't done anything. But instead of continuing his angry glare, Jacken's dark brown eyes relented in favor of, there it was, disappointment. Far more effectual than anger, and Jacken knew it. He'd learned that from Rake, Cavalon was sure. Warmth crept into Cavalon's cheeks. Sorry, sir. He sat next to Emery and stared at his boots, the toes polished and unmarred. They looked downright naive next to Emery and Warner's, both scuffed and worn. He still had a long way to go. Chapter 11 About 20 seconds after calms broke off, Adequin began to seriously question the sanity of her decision to send Cavalon. She leaned back in her desk chair and ran both hands through her hair. Though he demonstrated both intelligence and competence, he still served as an unknown quantity, one who'd proven to be an unpredictable, aggravating nuisance. However, the last few hours couldn't be ignored. He'd stepped up more than she'd ever expected him to. She'd given him the tiniest sliver of trust and focus, and he'd all but entirely shed his volatile attitude. But she knew that kind of compliance could be superficial and temporary, a way to appease a subjugator, misdirect their focus while you scheme. It was how humans had won the Viator War, if on a far more complex and grand scale. Adequin took a breath and refocused her thoughts. Cavalon wasn't a militaristic force assembling some complex strategy against her. He wasn't an enemy to outmaneuver. He was just a man, someone who had clearly lacked guidance and who appeared to have the potential to thrive if given the chance. And she trusted Jackin without question. He would handle Cavalon well. She didn't need to worry about either of them. Exhibitor, sir. Kamara's voice rang over her nexus. Go for Rake. Sorry to disturb you, sir, but we've got a situation on the bridge, and I can't get a hold of Optio North. Jack's indisposed. Sorry, Cam. What's the issue? It's his terminal, sir. Positioning alerts are going off left and right. Seems we're drifting again. Adequin grimaced. They were behind again already. She'd hoped flooring the thrusters earlier would give them a longer reprieve. Pinching the bridge of her nose, she tried to compute how the hell to go about all this without Jackin. Though she'd learned some about the ship's systems in the last five years, she'd never had reason to actually use any of them before. She'd always relied on Jackin to liaise between her and the ship. That wasn't Optio's job, after all. If this thing were a starfighter, a cruiser, a recon ship, sure, she'd have it well in hand within a few heartbeats. But the Argus was no light spacecraft, quite the opposite, in fact, the very definition of a battleship. It required an entirely different kind of command and a very different path through the Legion than the one she'd taken. It might as well have been a jump drive for all she knew about how to operate it. A swell of annoyance, or maybe regret, climbed up the back of her throat. She needed help. As much as she preferred to stay discreet, she'd have to risk it to keep the bridge in working order with Jack and gone. Cam, call Circuitor Puck to the bridge for me, she said. I'll be there in a minute. She pushed away from her desk and marched into the corridor. She rounded the corner and found Puck heading down the hall. Puck, 
she called after him. He turned and stopped, putting his fist to his chest in salute. Sir. Good timing, I just asked Kamara to call you. She did, less than five minutes ago. Sorry, came as fast as I could. Adequin creased her brow. Five minutes? Yes, sir. She rubbed her temples. Puck ran his hand over the top of his shaved head. Uh, what's wrong? I don't think you're the Puck I'm looking for. He raised a skeptical eyebrow. Sorry, sir? Just wait here a minute, Circuiter. She continued toward the bridge, leaving a confused Puck behind. Uh, okay, he called after her, but his edges were already wavering. Seconds later, he flashed out of existence. At least it acted as pretty solid confirmation Puck was on his way, which relieved her, because as she entered the bridge and approached Jackin's terminal, she didn't have the first clue what she was looking at. A series of warnings and notifications had stacked up. She assumed from her encounter with future Puck that they indicated the Argus had again drifted too close to the divide, or vice versa, as the case may be. She chewed her lip and tried not to let the reality of vice versa weigh too heavily on her. She slid the holographic display into the air above the terminal, then flipped through the menu options, looking for a way to defer the warnings. She really wished she'd made Jackin stay and gone to Gate herself. He would know what to do, how to handle it. She didn't know enough about their positioning with the Divide to make informed decisions, and though she had confidence in Puck's experience as it read on paper, she'd had very little chance to work side by side with him in the past. Can I help you out there, sir? Adequin turned to find Puck standing over her shoulder, hopefully the real Puck. Yes, thanks for coming. Oh, uh, sorry about the new kid the other day, sir. Puck looked down at his hands. You hadn't assigned a work detail, so I figured he could help out in the mess. I didn't know it'd, well, that it'd explode. That's okay, you're not the only one that's had difficulties with him. So, is he really royalty? That's not your concern, Circuiter. Puck's shoulders drew back. Of course, sorry, sir. She looked up to find his expression flat but knowing. She lowered her voice. Just don't say anything. We've got plenty of other issues around here at the moment. Understood, sir. Jackin's terminal beeped another alert. What's going on? Puck asked, his voice low. Where's Jackin? He's indisposed. I know you have experience with all, she swept her hand over the terminal screen. This. Puck cracked his knuckles. North better undispose soon, or it'll be Optio Puck before he knows it. Yeah, yeah, Circuiter, just get on it, please. Yes, sir. He leaned over the display. With one swipe, he dismissed every notification, then flicked open the positioning and sensor menus. We seem to be drifting outward at a pretty rapid pace, sir. Adequin's heart raced. Rapid? How exactly would you quantify rapid? Honestly, I have no idea. How close do we normally sit? Adequin was pleased she actually knew the answer. She didn't know the specifics, but she'd memorized that stat years ago. 1.284 million kilometers.
Puck's face fell. What? Uh, nothing. This estimation is just reading wrong, clearly. She opened her mouth to let him know it probably wasn't wrong at all, but stopped herself. That would inspire a long line of questioning she wasn't ready to indulge. Puck shrugged. Not sure what it'd be pulling or pushing us out so fast, but I'll engage thrusters to get us back inward. No, Adequin began, but he'd already swept open the thruster control screen. Oh. Puck pressed his lips together and turned to look at her with acute alarm. He lowered his voice. What the hell, sir? The thrusters are already pushing us inward at max speed. Her eye twitched as she mediated her anxious expression. Any ideas on how to push us in a bit quicker? Maybe, but the divide's gravitational influence isn't that strong this far out. Puck shook his head. What the hell's moving us? We don't know, she said, and a sharp pang of guilt fired in the pit of her stomach. Though it wasn't precisely a lie. They truly didn't know what had caused it. Puck had simply assumed incorrectly about which had moved toward which. She shoved the guilt aside and took a deep breath. Explaining it all to Puck was uncalled for. Knowing wouldn't change anything other than that it would most assuredly cause him to panic, which wouldn't help anyone. We need a temporary solution, she said. Something to kick us back inward until Jacken can finish up with his permanent solution. Okay, Puck crossed his arms. Well, I might be able to, uh, trick it. Trick it? Well, he diverted his gaze and cleared his throat. Hack it. Adequin raised an eyebrow. How so? It's not really a legion-sanctioned procedure, but I could reroute some of the life system's power to the thrusters, push them beyond their specified limits, and get a bit more kick out of them. How far can they be pushed? From a strictly theoretical standpoint, Puck, I'm the EX. I've read your file. I know exactly why you're here. Right. He gave her a sheepish grin. Well, when I did a similar hack on the SCS Somnium, I got about 200% more out of the engines before it, er, well, before it stopped. Adequin sighed. Did they explode? Little bit. Implode, really. I'd rather our thrusters not implode. It's totally different, he said hurriedly. Trust me, this'll be fine. These old dreadnoughts have incredibly thorough output sensors, assuming everything's still in working order. With a few hurried taps, he opened another screen on Jackin's terminal and scanned the display, nodding. Yep, we're good. Everything's nominal on the last diagnostic, run just yesterday. I'll be able to tell when they're at their max. Adequin gauged his assured demeanor with narrowed eyes. Best estimate? Two to three hundred percent, but we'll have to cut power to a couple of sectors. That's fine. Novum's already evacuated. We can take Octo Sector offline as well. Duo if you need it. Comms? Yeah, they're basically defunct at the moment anyway. Puck took that bit of news with surprising acceptance. Okay, sir. 
Adequin sent four members of the bridge crew to confirm that Novum remained evacuated and seal the bulkhead door manually, then do the same for Octo and Duo. When they got the all clear, Puck began his work, fingers flashing expertly over holographic keys. He seemed to fall into a trance, eyes focused and unblinking as he flew through lines of code with consummate proficiency. He only paused three times, each to allow Adequin to give biometric scans, granting him deeper access into the computer's architecture. She could have been giving him clearance to turn the whole ship rogue, and she wouldn't have had the first clue. Nevertheless, she had to trust him. She didn't really have a choice. Less than an hour later, Puck sat back in the stool, wiping his forehead with the back of his hand. Okay, that's all I can do, sir. Adequin stopped pacing and leaned over the terminal. We're at about two and a half times the speed we were, Puck explained. She gripped his shoulder. Thanks, Circuiter. Let's hope it's enough. EX, sir? Kamara said, tone tense. Sir, we have a sensor alert, reading outward four degrees. What? Adequin's chest tightened and she looked up at the large view screen. A ship? No, or I don't know. Nothing on radar, just a notification from the optical sensors. How far out? Estimate is 35,990 kilometers. Mass? Just says, error. Adequin stared at the enormous view screen, though it remained as black and placid as always. Kamara's console gave a short, negative beep. There's another, Kamara said, at 35,720, 18 degrees. Adequin swung her look to the right side of the screen, but saw nothing. Or shit, Kamara continued, negative 32 degrees. Every gaze on the bridge swung left. Kamara let out a sharp huff as her console beeped again. Never mind, I don't know, it keeps changing. Adequin focused on the dark screen, her breath slowing as each uneventful second passed. Then she saw it. Or she thought she did. It disappeared before the signal could pass from her eyes to her brain. A reflection? She glanced over her shoulder, but saw that everyone on the bridge had frozen in place, gaping up at the large monitor. No one stirred. Adequin looked back at the screen. Moments later, it came again, sharp and dry, like a static charge dancing across a wool blanket. She had no perspective, no way to judge the distance, but she'd definitely seen it this time, whatever it was. Kamara cleared her throat, but her voice still came out weak. 35,103. Adequin kept her eyes trained on the spot, rounding Jackin's terminal to stand on the stairs, centered on the screen. The spark came again, sketching a thin, serrated line from port to starboard before evaporating. No one made a sound. Heat crept up Adequin's neck. She turned her face to Puck, though her eyes stayed on the screen. Lock down the bridge, please. Puck clamped his gaping mouth shut and began furiously swiping through menus. Sir? Kamara turned stunned green eyes onto Adequin. Eyes that were terrified, eyes that begged for an explanation. 
Adequin could only shake her head once. She turned back to the viewscreen, catching another glint as it danced across the abyss. Puck, let's go full dark. Uh, Puck's voice wavered, then he cleared the hesitation from his throat. Copy, sir. He raised his voice to address the rest of the crew. Time to batten down the hatches, ladies and gentlemen, get to your posts. The crew snapped from their reveries, almost crashing into one another as they hastened to their consoles. Flynn, let's get those shields raised, Puck said. Flynn, a stout man with a ruddy complexion, gaped at Puck for a few long moments. He let out a sharp breath, then sat at his terminal, and with trembling fingers began to type in commands. Commands he'd never had to type before, and that no defense engineer aboard the Argus had ever typed. Vega, Puck continued, we need all hatches shut. The outward-facing observation windows and hangar bay doors first, please. Yes, sir, Vega called out, already sitting at her console, navigating through menus. It's Roth, right? Puck asked a gruff older man. Roth gave a curt nod. Yes, sir. How's that cloaking system looking these days? The older man gave a relenting shrug. Functional, as far as I know. Check it out, let's see if we can get it online. Roth nodded and leaned over his screen. Puck raised his voice to speak to the whole crew again. We've got power diverted away from Duo, Octo, and Novum sectors, so do not draw from those systems. That's two, eight, nine. If you need additional resources, ask me first. The rest of you, start taking all non-essential systems offline. Start outward facing and work inward. Low light mode, reduced O2 and grav in uninhabited sectors, the whole works. Adequin watched Puck work in reverent silence. In the quiet, the tiny voice in the back of her head grew louder, judging her, calling her out on the futility of it all. She'd put the crew to work simply to keep them busy, distract them to give herself time to process what this meant. That wasn't an enemy rolling up to shoot them out of the sky. It wasn't a complement of Viator forces crossing over to wipe them out. She couldn't arm her soldiers and create a battle plan and give a fervent, rousing speech to inspire them to greatness. They could shut the blinds and lock the doors and pretend they weren't home, but it would achieve nothing. But what else could she do? She'd already sent for help. They'd pushed the thrusters beyond their limits and they had no engines. They were dead in the water. 35,000 kilometers from the divide and counting. Her brain did the math without her consent, estimating how much time had passed between Kamara's updates on the distance of the visual anomaly. Something in the realm of 50,000 kilometers per hour. 40 minutes, she said, not realizing she'd spoken aloud until Puck turned a confused look onto her. Realization flickered across his eyes. Before he could respond, Flynn interrupted. Sir, the shield's sensors are going haywire. We're getting hit with- He trailed off, his pink cheeks blanching. With what? Puck asked. I don't know. It's like a gravitational pulse almost, like a wave hitting in intervals. 
The hiss of a door sliding open pulled Adequin's attention to the top tier of the bridge. Mesa drifted in, blue silk folds billowing out behind her as she swept toward them. Adequin glared at Puck. I thought I told you to lock us down. I did. Puck's brow creased in confusion. He looked at his screen for confirmation. Adequin took a few steps up toward the top level. Mesa, now's not a great- Exuberer, there is a- But before Mesa could complete her sentence, her form flickered, then disappeared out of existence. Adequin groaned. Mesa walked in again, then followed herself in twice more until three copies of the savant marched in rapid succession toward her. Bloody hell. Adequin pressed her fingers deep into her temples as the triplicate mesas sauntered past the captain's chair. Between the three of them, they managed to get out more of the announcement, though it was difficult to understand as they spoke over one another. Exuberer, there is, there is a, Exuberer, there is, situation, outside, a situation. The first two evaporated one by one leaving the third trailing behind with the lingering words, outside octosector, before it disappeared as well. The bridge crew exchanged nervous glances, but otherwise didn't react. Only the light beeps of console notifications punctuated the soft sounds of fingers sliding against screens. A raucous pounding shattered the nervous calm, and Adequin's breath caught as the hammering echoed through the silent bridge. Exuberer. Mesa's muffled voice called through the thick door. Adequin looked to Puck, who gave a small shrug. I guess if it's not opening, maybe it's really her this time. Open it for me. She ascended the stairs two at a time. As she approached, the door slid open. Mesa stood outside, cheeks flushed crimson, hands on her hips. She swept an appalled gaze around at the crew inside before landing on Adequin. Why is this locked? Mesa asked, her breath labored. Savants weren't known for their stamina, and by the sweat glistening on Mesa's forehead, she must have expended quite a bit of effort in getting here. I have been trying to call you on comms. Sorry, Mace, they must be down again. We hit a bit of a snag in here. There's a situation outside of Octosector? Yes, how did you- Mesa's face fell flat with realization. A ripple, I see. Yeah, one or two, Adequin said with a sigh. So what is it, fight break out or? Not exactly, I am afraid. Mesa lowered her voice. Some of the men swore they saw something out the outward facing observation windows. They began to argue like absolute cretins. But when they saw the hatches close, well, her look grew distant and harrowed, like she'd been made to recall a grisly dream. Everyone started freaking out. Adequin's eyebrows raised. She didn't think she'd ever heard Mesa use such colloquial speech. Can you be more specific? Well, Mesa huffed, drawing back her shoulders. Presently, they are trying to break down the bulkhead door to Octo to get to the armory. No, 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 Adequin shook her head. We cut power to Octo, Grav and Oxygen are offline. You may want to get down there and explain that to them. They are under the fervent impression that they need to arm themselves. 
shit. Adequin gripped the back of her head. Okay. She turned to call down to Puck. Puck, I have to deal with this. You have the bridge. Puck's eyes just about bulged out of his head, and his mouth opened and closed a few times before he managed a response. Oh, uh, okay, sir. Mesa fell in beside her as Adequin left a shocked, silent bridge behind. That's all for now. Thank you for listening. Make sure to follow Stories from Among the Stars on your preferred podcast app to get the next episode. Or if you just can't wait, you can find The Last Watch and its sequel, The Exiled Fleet, wherever books or audiobooks are sold. Thank you. <laughs>